morning, everybody. I just echo what everybody else has already said. It's so good to see all your faces. Well, to see some of your faces. Half of your faces are covered with masks still, but good to see you and talk to you in person. And, um, and, and so good to just gather together, to worship together. Uh, for those of you who are joining us on live stream, welcome as well. As I've been thinking over these last couple weeks, really it's made me reflect over this, this whole last year. 2020 has been one of those years that's going to go down in the books as something else, right? You think, about, you think about in January, we had Kobe Bryant tragically passing away. Then about a month later, the impeachment of Donald Trump. And then we kind of all forgot about that because a month later was COVID. And the whole world kind of shut down and stopped, right? And then we can all remember over the last couple weeks what's been happening in our city and then around the world as well. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you guys have heard of social media, but it's a really interesting place to go right now. Uh, I'm hearing from people that I haven't heard from in years hearing their perspective, their ideas on, on what the right response is. And it's good. It's a, it's a dialogue. It needs to happen. But it's really interesting to watch the world respond to crisis and, and to, to say, well, I, I think this idea is the way we should go. I think, that, I think that this ideology or this leader or this person is the one that we should follow. And, and some, not all for sure, but some would tell you, if you don't follow my way, you're an awful person. Right? You've probably seen some of those attacks happen. And what's, what's really going on, I think, is people are grasping for what can I trust? What is real right now? What is truth? Who or where can I look to trust in times of crisis? Who has the answers? And we're going to be in Psalm 27 today, like Laura said. And you can go ahead and start turning there if you'd like. But... We're not the first church who's had to navigate crisis. We're not the first church who's had to, to ask, what does it look like to give our culture something in this time? And maybe some of us are asking, yeah, I know I, I trust the Lord, but, but how do I navigate media and all this different stuff that's being thrown at me? Um, when we step into Psalm 27, we see a, a situation in King David's life that is similar. So, King David wrote this psalm. Actually, he wasn't King David at the time. He was just David when he wrote this psalm. And David had already, at this point, he had fought Goliath. He had, um, he had gained favor in the world, or in, his, in uh, his kingdom. He had actually been given the king's daughter as his wife. So he was the son-in-law of the king. He had become good friends with Jonathan, so best friends with the king's son. Things were going well for David. And he had been anointed to be king by this time. But at this point, Saul starts to realize that David is getting more favor than him. So David then has to go on the run because Saul begins to hunt down David. You probably have heard these stories. David is running from city to city, hiding in caves. He actually has the opportunity to kill Saul at some point and set himself free, supposedly. But David, in this, in this psalm, we see him wrestling with what does trust mean in a time of crisis for me? How, how do I know if I'm genuinely trusting the Lord? And, and what is my response when things seem to be out of control? We're going to read Psalm 27, and then we'll dive into the message for today. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet will I be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out. Be gracious to me and answer, answer me. You have said, seek my face. And I say to you, my face, Lord, do I seek, or your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false, false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are such strong examples of, of your people throughout history, Lord, who have walked through hardship, who have walked through crisis, who have wrestled with what does it mean that I have a good God and also that I'm going through something that is threatening my life, something, something that I don't understand, that I can't reconcile. How do I wrestle with that? Lord, Lord, thank you that David has done that for us. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to know how to live and how to walk in this time that we're in. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I think that we see David wrestling with the tensions of trust in this passage. And he's, he's asking, how, how is God good? How is he the fortress? Because I know he is. How is he my strong tower, my light, and my salvation? And yet, I'm going through all of this. And so I think that this psalm gives us four tests to tell us if our trust is a biblical trust, or if our trust is a trust that we have created for ourselves that down the line will actually fail us. Here are the four tests. Trust, first, is validated by its object. Trust is validated by its object. Next, trust is cultivated through fellowship. Then trust is refined through lament. And lastly, trust is strengthened in waiting. So let's talk about that first one. Trust is validated by its object. Just this last Thursday... I was in uptown, kind of South Minneapolis area, and there was a group of us who had went out, and we were just talking to people uh, about how they're doing in the midst of all this. One, one positive thing about what's going on, by the way, is that starting conversations with strangers is as easy as it's ever been. So if you'd like to go talk to some people and, and possibly start a conversation that would lead to a gospel conversation, this, this is the time. But anyway, so we were, we were talking with multiple people, I was down at PV Park, and I had a partner with me. So one of the first people that we talked to, his name was Jim. And Jim uh, had been a, been a believer of some kind. He had grown up in the church a long time ago, but uh, he was an older man now and, and had lived in Minneapolis all his life, had kind of wandered away uh, from faith altogether or from religion. 
And, and so we, we kind of got into a conversation with him, and I asked him, about his, I asked him about his history and faith and where he was with God now. And eventually he said, well, I don't believe in Jesus or God, uh, but I still have faith. And so I said, Jim, what, what, is it, what do you have faith in? What does it mean that you have faith? And almost as if he was just obviously answering my question, he just raised his hand and looked around at everything. As if like, well, obviously, something better, right? Obviously, the universe. And, and strangely, or not strangely, this is where our culture is right now. Our culture has actually begun to find value in faith itself as a virtue. It actually doesn't matter what you have faith in as long as there's some belief in something higher, something better. It doesn't matter what I have placed my trust in as long as that faith is meaningful to me, right? People have done studies on the impact of faith communities, and generally the people doing these studies are ones who don't believe in religion, don't believe in God, but they think, oh, it's interesting, the the sociological impacts of faith, right? Not thinking maybe there's something the faith is in that's causing a difference. But we don't live this way in any other area of our life, right? Imagine if I called a couple of you up and said, hey, we're going to go bungee jumping. Matt, you're one of them. And, uh, and Dave, you're one of them. So, yeah, he raised his hand. I got you, Dave. So, I say, I say to Dave, Dave, you, we're going to anchor you to this concrete pillar. It was made for bungee jumping. It goes 20 feet down into the ground. It has no cracks. Tens of thousands of people have bungee jumped from this post, and, and nobody has ever died. Nobody's ever gotten injured. Everybody comes back up safely. It's awesome. Matt, we heard that you love strawberry jello, so we made a, a, a ton of strawberry jello. It goes back for miles, and we, we made a lot of it, so don't worry. We'll anchor you in that. I think you'll be fine, right? Okay, it's kind of a ridiculous analogy, but this is exactly what it is to say, I have faith, and hoping that whatever it is that I have faith, whatever it is that I have trust in is good enough for me. None of us would think that that's a, a consistent way to live. All of us, or many of us right now, may be going through various trials, right? Various sufferings. And, and we ask, Lord, where are you in those times? And David was going through something very similar. He, he says in the beginning and the end of this psalm where he puts his faith, even though in the middle he's wrestling. He begins and ends this psalm in the, in the English and in the Hebrew with Yahweh. Yahweh is my light. And at the end, wait for Yahweh, right? Wait for the Lord. He says, even with all the questions I don't have answered, I can still make a proclamation of where my faith is placed. Even with all the questions that I am still wrestling with, I can, I can make an affirmation that my, even if my heart is not fully there yet, even if my heart doesn't fully understand, I can affirm who it is that's holding me. Because here's the thing. If you're, this is what, what Laura was just talking about. If your uh, confidence in your ability to trust God is primarily based in just that, your ability to trust him, then you're already setting yourself up for failure. The primary confidence of my trust comes from knowing what my trust is anchored in. Because he holds me as I begin the process. He holds me through the process. He holds me at the end of the process. I can still wrestle and not be exactly certain of all the answers to the questions. This is why David says, even though I feel 
like I'm stumbling in darkness, right? He, he, he's running from all the people he thought were his friends. Even though I feel like I'm stumbling in darkness, Yahweh is my light. Even though I feel like I am uh, uh, going to be overtaken by this enemy, God is my salvation. Even though I feel like this army is going to come and overtake me, God is my fortress, right? David is able to have confidence in God. And so he gives us this simplicity at the beginning of our journey of trust that's very helpful. Even though the process of learning to trust doesn't feel simple sometimes, the affirmation that we make at the beginning is simple. That God is the anchor that we have our trust founded in. Next, trust is cultivated through fellowship. Trust is cultivated through fellowship. Let's look again at verses 4 through 6. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Who has heard this verse in a very different context than crisis? One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after. It's like in in the midst of a worship service, right? In the midst of when everything is peaceful, everything is good. One thing, God, could I desire after I've already had all the other things that I could hope to have. But actually, this verse is said in the midst of an unresolved crisis where David is fleeing for his life. Can you imagine if God came to you in the middle of whatever crisis or struggle or trial that you're in the middle of and said, I'll grant you one thing. What would we ask for? Most likely, we're going to ask God, I, I, I take some health for my body. I would take this chronic sickness that's been going on for a long time. If you could take that away, that would be awesome. God, if you could just make sure that my kids are going to follow you and be successful, that would be awesome. God, if, if you could just you know, give me that promotion or, or bring back that family member that I lost or some very legitimate things that we would ask for or hope for, And the the point is not that we can't ask for multiple things. The point is that David, in the midst of crisis, recognizes that one thing matters above everything else. It's actually intimacy. It's fellowship with God. Look again at the words that he uses. He says, I ask, Lord, to dwell. I ask to gaze. I ask to inquire, or another word for that is meditate. All of these things, David is saying, Lord, I don't want to just glance at you and then go along in my life. I don't want to just get a quick conversation with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time in your presence. I think it it can become obvious to us many times when things aren't going our way that actually there are ulterior motives in following the Lord that are under the surface many times. Sometimes we follow the Lord because we think he's actually going to give us a certain blessing, that he's going to give us a certain peace, a certain whatever it is. Uh, of course, the prosperity gospel is steeped in this, right? And if, if, if we don't identify those things that our, that our trust is actually in, then it's, it's going to fail us down the road. But actually, God, uh, God gives us the grace of going through a crisis so that he can reveal those ulterior motives many times. The truth is that our trust becomes unshakable when we actually have our trust placed in God himself, when we seek God for God, rather than seeking God for something that God can give us. But it's interesting, as David goes on in verse 5, he says, he says I want to dwell, I want to gaze on you, I want to behold you, I want to be with you. And then he says, for he will hide me. For he will 
save me. David is saying the direct result of me being with God, the direct result of me dwelling with God is that he is going to protect me through that crisis. So actually the opposite of what I need is for me to try and solve my crisis. What I actually need is to be with God and for him to give me what I need when I need it in his own timing. David knows that the greatest tactical move he can make is actually to dwell with God and let God make the decisions in his crisis. Next, trust is refined through lament. Trust is refined through lament. Notice the tone change between verse 6 and 7. Okay, first six verses, David is saying, David is saying, I trust in you, God. God, you're going to save me. You're going to come through. You're my light and you're my salvation. And then in, in chapter 7, he's like, where are you, God? What are you doing? People have actually suggested, because of the change in tone between these two verses, that the same person couldn't possibly have written these two psalms. That it was actually two different psalms that were combined at a, at a, a later time. Because in one moment he's saying, whom shall I fear? And in the next moment he's saying, hey God, that army right there, I'm a little bit afraid of them, so if you could take care of them like right now, that would be awesome. Let's, let's read verses 7 through uh, 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer me. You've said, seek my face. I, your face, Lord, do I seek. Don't hide your face from me. Tur- don't turn me away in anger. You have been my help. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. God of my salvation, my father and mother have already forsaken me. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. They breathe out violence. How many have heard something along the lines when you're grieving of just bless the Lord? Just bless the Lord. Trust that he's doing something. Trust that he's good, right? Who's been comforted in that way when you're in a moment of grieving? My wife told me a story of of her... uh, of her father's funeral. This is about six years ago now. And um, it's so interesting what people say at a funeral, right? Trying to comfort you. This guy gets up on stage. They open it up at the very end and they say, hey, would anybody have comments? He gets up on stage and he decides this is the best thing to say. Depression is coming for us all. My, it's coming for the housewife with her kids at home. It's coming for the man in his cubicle at work. It's coming for us. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Amen to that. That was an excellent funeral speech. What we all needed to hear, right? Sometimes we don't know what to say. Obviously, that's an extreme example. But sometimes what you need is to say nothing. Or as you, what you need as the grieving person is to hear nothing, right? One of my new favorite verses from Job is, Oh, that you would shut your mouth and let that be your wisdom. It's one of my favorite verses now. It's begun to help me greatly in my personal life. Um, many of you have experienced somebody trying to counsel you in this way, where they say, hey, true trust is that you affirm all the good, and then you shove down and you minimize all the pain. You don't ask the questions. But friends, this is the opposite of what biblical trust is. This is directly opposed to what biblical trust teaches. Biblical trust says, actually, Not only is my lament, not only is my cry for help, not only are my questions not opposed to trust, it's actually because I trust God, I'm willing to wrestle with him. Because I trust God, I'm willing to ask those questions. Because I know that there's a good God at the end of my questions, at the end of my cries, I'm allowed to ask them. 
It actually sounds a whole lot more like a prison camp if you're not allowed to wrestle with the hard things. You're not allowed to ask what's going on. You probably heard the, the very sad story of what happened uh, a number of babies in Germany back decades ago, back in the, in the time of the Second World War, who were put in, in uh, an orphanage type of setting. They were given all the basics that they needed. They were given all the food and the clothes and diapers changed, but they weren't answered when they cried, and they weren't held. And slowly, well, actually, quickly, the, the children stopped crying, and then slowly, over time, they died one by one. It wasn't because they didn't have the technical necessities. It's because there was no hope that there was somebody who cared on the other end. And that's what I think happens to us sometimes in our version of trust We say, it's actually better if I just don't ask questions. It's actually better if I just put on this mask that everything is okay. And actually, what God would say is, no, come to me. Come to me and cry out to me. Come to me and ask me those questions. You don't have to pick and choose between do you believe God is good and what the heck is going on in my life. You don't have to choose between those. It's only when both of those come together when I, when I cry out knowing that there's a good God on the other end, that I can actually begin to walk in a vibrant spirituality and find healing. Anne Voskamp wrote this. She says, Lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts. Lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts. You could probably finish this verse for me. Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Awesome, right? Great verse. We've used it many times to comfort those in need. Does anybody know what the second half of that verse is? Because that's only actually the first half. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Nevertheless, I will argue my case to his face. I can, I can affirm, even though he, he slay me, I trust him. Nevertheless, God, I've got some things to say. God, I've got some things to work out with you. Your lament has to be uh, the, the, the means of refining your trust. For something to be refined, it has to go through the fire. It has to go through that process of bring the, bringing the impurities out. Don't be one who shoves down those things that are going on in your life. Maybe you have, maybe you have a relationship in your life, a marriage, where you're experiencing a lot of conflict. Or children who you have broken relationships with them. Maybe there's a serious health issue going on in your life. Maybe there's mental health issues in your own life or in other uh, people's lives. None of it is off the table. Bring it to him and cry out to him and process it with him. It's part of the process of trust. Last thing. I'll finish up quickly here because it's a little warm in this building if any of you are feeling that. Trust is strengthened in our waiting. Trust is strengthened in waiting. Have you guys noticed that God doesn't tend to move on our timetable for anything in life? He doesn't tend to do things in the time frame and in the way that I thought he would do them. He's pretty much never moved on my timetable. Think of, think of when you're a kid, right? Day after Christmas. Mom, when's Christmas? Uh, 12 months from now. 12 months? Has 12 months ever passed in the history of mankind? Is that even a fathomable time frame in my five-year-old little brain? Then you get into middle school. Middle school was awesome, right? Everybody loves middle school. No. Okay, I, yeah, some people are still in middle school. Was that you, Val? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, I, I think, guys, we, we want to get through middle school. We want to get through high school. Then we want to get married. Then we want to get on to the next thing. We want to get the next job, the next whatever. 
But God has actually structured this world so that it works best in our patience. It works, works best in our waiting. So that we experience the best things as we patiently wait with him. Right now, the most current waiting opportunity that I have is that uh, we're having our first baby in November. And this is the first time we've been together since that. So if that's news to you, then there you go. And I bet my wife would tell you any moment, hey, that baby can go ahead and come on out. Any, any uh, formerly pregnant or currently pregnant women relate to that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, any day now. You know, I, I'll, yeah, it's okay. I'll give up the constant aching and the constant throwing up and being in the bed all the time and not being able to do anything that I normally can do. I guess I'll sacrifice all that to have this child finally come out. And, and it's been interesting for me because there is part of me that wants the child to be born now, but there's something really interesting I see happening in my own heart as I wait for the baby, right? I see that I'm being tested, I'm being formed in being able to serve Molly in a different way now than I ever have before. Because she can't do really anything for me right now. She's, she's building a human being, so that's enough each day, right? She, uh, she can't get out of bed, she can't do all the normal things that she does, so, so I'm being tested in laying down uh, my selfishness. When the baby gets here, that'll be multiplied by about 100, right? That baby can't do anything at all, and is rarely thankful until they can understand what thankfulness is. You know, I, I think multiple things happen through waiting. God actually causes us to dig down into his character, who he is, in the midst of our questions. He, he causes us to let go of those ulterior motives that we might have. He has a purpose for our waiting, and the best things always come at the end of waiting. So as we, as we start to wrap up uh, today, uh, worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. We're going to close here in a few minutes with one more worship song. And I just want to ask, wherever you are right now in your suffering, maybe your suffering right now is, man, it's hot in here, and I, 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 I'm falling asleep. But for real, some of your suffering is very legitimate. It's, it's things that you've been wrestling with for years, and you've been in the midst of, you've been asking God where he is. My wife and I walk this out a lot with her health, or with her physical health. We don't have answers to why things haven't resolved themselves. You know what the situation is in your own life. But let's just ask the Lord, Lord, is my trust in you based in you, enjoying you, or is it, is it based in getting what I need quickly? And I believe that God will give you those things. He will give you the release from that season. But sometimes that season can be a lot longer than we anticipate it will be. So let's go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to just pray as we begin to close. Let's just ask that the Lord would give us the kind of trust that he teaches here. Father, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this morning. As, as many limitations as there are with COVID and not being able to hug and have conversations the same way we normally would. Or, um, uh, Lord, getting back into the routine of coming to church and all of that means. Lord, we ask that you would just um, give us joy as we continue meeting together over the coming weeks. Pray that you would fix the air conditioner. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would meet each person where they are in their journey of learning to trust you. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would actually establish our trust in you uh, in, a, in a deeper way. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to wrestle with you in, in ways that maybe we haven't allowed ourselves before. Uh, God, I pray for, for those who are 
who are really in the middle of it right now, that they would feel the freedom today to cry out to you. And, uh, and Lord, that they would trust you in the waiting, that they would trust you when they don't have the answers, when the resolution has not come yet. You give them peace and patience. We ask, Lord, that you help us to cast all our anxieties on you, to give you everything, and that the peace of God that transcends our understanding would guard our hearts and minds as we wait. So as we close with this last song, would you bind us together, knit us together in you. In Jesus' name, amen.